You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. All right, and welcome to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. Today, it is Thursday, February 9th. My name is Rick Butler, and boy, do we have a great show for you lined up today. Now, it's a little bit of a different layout than we maybe have done in the past. We had to put a couple things in motion today, so what you're going to hear coming up in just about 30 seconds or so, myself and Ryan Shumpert, RTI's own Ryan Shumpert, we were both in Nashville yesterday for the Tennessee Vanderbilt basketball game. We will be coming together to talk about that game and to talk about all things Tennessee basketball heading into the final seven-game stretch of the regular season for Rick Barnes and the Tennessee Volunteers. Then, after that, me and Jack Foster are right here in studio as we're going to knock out a lot of great Tennessee football conversation. On Wednesday, Tennessee had introductory press conferences for Joey Halsley as Tennessee's offensive coordinator, Alec Abelin as Tennessee's new tight ends coach, and they brought out Tim Banks, the defensive coordinator, to talk a little bit about what's going on in the defensive room this offseason. So, that's what's coming up on the RTI Press Pass today. Don't go anywhere because you are going to absolutely love all of it. Again, we got basketball conversation coming up first. We got football conversation on the other side of the break, and it is all going to be good as gold. Thanks so much for listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass today, and here we go. All right, we've got Ryan Shumpert over in the mid-state. He is on his way back to Knoxville soon. I am right here at home base right here in Knoxville, I guess. Ryan, you and I both were at the game yesterday. First off, how you doing today? I know that was a little bit of a late night, especially with all the dramatics at the end. Uh, I guess that probably extended our night uh, a good bit over there in the Music City yesterday. Yeah, I mean, you got a smile on your face because you I let out a big yawn as you were you were asking that question. So, <laughs> uh, a little tired. It's been, a, it's been a busy couple of days, but doing well besides that and uh, – Ready to talk a little, uh, talk about really what was a pretty disappointing night for Tennessee basketball. Yeah, no doubt about it. It, it was certainly a back and forth contest, but Vanderbilt ended up getting the win over Tennessee by a score of 66 to 65. And we know the finish, right? We kind of know what happened. And we got to talk about the, that final minute of the game. But first, I want to back up a little bit before that buzzer beating shot, before anything else. Ryan, you wrote a great post game, as always, over on RockyTopInsider.com. And you had one line that really kind of stuck out to me. And it was this right here. I'm going to read it. The loss, Tennessee's second in three games, puts the Vols at a crossroads at the season. Seasons aren't made or broken by early February games, but the Vols are trending in the wrong direction with their schedule poised to heat up down the stretch. Following a Saturday home game against Missouri, Tennessee faces number three Alabama and then travels to Rupp Arena and College Station to take on the Aggies for challenging conference games. But let's go back to that one point. The Vols are at a crossroads in this season. How do you kind of see where the team is right now and kind of elaborate on that thought, if you will? Well, it's certainly a team that I think is is fading uh, right now and has not played well really since the Texas game. You look, you know, they obviously beat Auburn uh, on Saturday, and a win is a win, especially over what's a good Auburn team. But I don't think anyone who who watched that game and is listening to the podcast would come or, come away saying Tennessee played you know really well in that game by any means. And the fact that you lose not only you lose two games against Florida and. Vanderbilt but you go back to what we talked about last week in that Florida game you weren't playing well you're up six with 11 minutes to go really good teams veteran led teams they win that game you go to last night 
you have the ball up to 10 seconds left against a not very good Vanderbilt team. Florida's not world beaters, but they're on the bubble. They're going to have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. And Vanderbilt's a little bit better than they've been the last couple of years, but they're still not very good. I mean, it's a team that lost by 65 at Alabama just seven days before. There's no even really good team, any of that about it. Good teams, pretty good teams find a way to win that game. And you look at it, and I'm sure we'll get into it in a second, but three mistakes in the last 13 seconds. If you, you make two of them, you probably get away with it and still win the game. <laughs> and just uncharacteristic stuff. And so not only do I have lost, kind of going back to the crossroads, not only having lost two out of three, but having lost two out of three in what was really brutal ways with what's left on the schedule only going to be harder. I think this is a spot where teams could fade and, and kind of shrivel up going down the stretch in the moment and not take hard coaching and uh, lose its confidence. Or you could see teams thrive and, and come out of this resilient, come out of this stretch of adversity with resiliency and play a lot, lot better. And I think you saw Tennessee do that last year. Now, granted, that stretch was a month earlier in the season at the start of January and not uh, the start of February. But those are big questions that Tennessee has to answer. And the good news for the Vols is it's a wide-open year. I mean, we've talked about it on here sure. a ton. There's not a ton of really great teams nationally. Um, but the bad news is they're not playing well right now, and it's not even the better teams on their schedule that they're losing to. It's games that they really really should win, especially the Vanderbilt game. Yeah, and just kind of falling off that point right there, I, I think one of the things that worries me the most about this Tennessee team is – just the consistency and and that's not even necessarily from a defensive end but I I just feel like each game that you watch Tennessee they're inconsistent with who's going to kind of be productive for that game even looking at the game from last night you had two guys step up who had kind of had a a relative cold streak over the last week or two and Tyreek Key and Julian Phillips Key I think finished with 14 points which was only his second double digit game in SEC play first since the LSU game on the 21st of January, and then before that, you got to go all the way back to December 7th to find his other, other double-digit point game. So he, he kind of stepped up last night. Julian Phillips stepped up a little bit last night with 10 points. Kamwa had 10 of, 10 of his own as well. Vescovy had 14. But you can't – but it, it, it was another situation of Tennessee just not really being able to put all the pieces together with Zakai having a little bit of an off night, getting into foul trouble early. Josiah Jordan-James having a lot of trouble putting the ball in the cup. Uh, and then getting injured at the end of the game, just silently finishing with two points. I feel like consistency is becoming an issue here with this team right here in a critical point of the SEC stretch. It, it certainly is. I think that's what has to be so frustrating when you, for Tennessee, when you look back at, well, I guess what has to be so frustrating is how you lose it at the end. But outside of that, what's so frustrating is, again, go back to last week. What were we talking about? The things that can get this offense going. You need more from Julian Phillips. You need more from Tyreek Key. And Tennessee's role players were, frankly, great last night against Vanderbilt. Phillips, uh, four or five shooting, 10 points. Tyreek Key, the aggression that you want to see from him, he takes 12 shots and ties for the team high 14 points. And even a guy like Tobey Walker had a really strong night. Was the first big man yes. off the bench, tied Olivier Kamwa for the most minutes played by a big man, scores eight points. And it wasn't an Olivier Kamwa game where he was just brilliant like Texas, but He's the definition on this team of an inconsistent player. And I think, you know, for the most part, you take what he gives you, gave gave Tennessee last night, eight, nine times out of 10, 10 points, five of eight shooting, hit the huge shot, a tough 16 footer that yeah. looked like it was going to be the difference that gave Tennessee the lead there with, I believe, 50 seconds left. So Tennessee got a lot from its role players. It needs more from its stars. Brandon Zakai Ziegler was battling foul trouble a lot, but he didn't play very well. Josiah Jordan James was 
was really, really bad. And, and at least offensively, he was really bad. He did some good things on the defensive end, rebounded well. And the kind of the funny part of it, you look at the stars, Santiago Vescovi, he had, a, you know, he, it wasn't like he was amazing, but he had a shooting stroke going last night. He made four yeah. threes, but it's just the most he's made in a game in a while, including a huge shot that tied the game, the possession before uh, that Kamwa jumper that gave him the lead. So he was the one guy you look at the star, like, yeah, he gave Tennessee what they needed, but in winning time, he was the one that made just two, two really, really critical mistakes. And uh, obviously missing the front end of the one and one, and then just a, a defensive breakdown that was pretty inexcusable. We know what this team is going to be on the defensive end of the court, right? We know that this team is going to give people trouble. They're going to rely on their defensive ability. They're going to prioritize that defensive ability. But I think one of the tough things about going into this, you know, going into, I guess, this final stretch of the season is it's hard to to know what to expect game in and game out. I mean, if I if I asked you, you know, hey, who's going to who's going to lead Tennessee to a win against Missouri? Right on Saturday. I, to me, it's hard to tell because, again, there is some consistency. And, and I think, like you were saying, right, you know that there's going to be a couple of guys who, who are going to get their shots, who are going to get their points, who are going to get their rebounds and stats and so on and so forth. But who is going to be that critical player for Tennessee to win them the game if they need? I, I think it's tough just not being able to kind of know that. And, and you know, I, I know that we're talking about, you know, we're talking immediately after a loss. And there are still positive things about this team. But it, it is just fascinating to look at them at where they are right now, kind of in mid-February, with the highs. I, I think that we we feel like their ceiling can be, and that we've seen at times this year. We've seen them have top twenty-five wins. We saw Tennessee have a great home win against number ten Texas. Just, I mean, uh, less than two weeks ago, and now to be sitting here, you know, kind of looking at this Tennessee team after back-to-back road unranked losses, it, it is really fascinating to look at this team's ceiling and floor. Because it is a, to me, I mean, that is a massive, massive gap, right? I think in some ways, yes. I think the defense being so good makes the floor maybe higher than, than you're getting at. Because okay. I, I think I it was Will Warren and Stats by Will had to tweet during the Auburn game, which was a, just obviously an awful game offensively. And it said, the good thing about Tennessee is no matter how bad its offense is, it's usually in the game because of how good its defense is. And it can keep it, it's in the game. But I still think you are right. And though we've talked about it, the lack of a go-to scorer is really the glaring flaw in this team. And, you know, the thing I've said that can offset that is the Kai Ziegler playing really well at the point yeah. of position and getting lots of guys involved. He has not played well the last, the last three times out. And he did battle foul trouble last night. He had two in the first half. He picked up a third one uh, in the first 90 seconds of the second half. It led to him just playing 24 minutes. But those last three games were not, at the level of tennis, really, we're not at the level he was playing for most of the month of January, and that is, is not is was not at the level that Tennessee needs it to be going forward. So, uh, I think that is a big piece to look at. And you're right; it's there's going to be offensive inconsistencies just because of the lack of a go-to guy. And I think Tennessee, more than anything, needs more consistency from its stars. You expect your role players. You expect Tyreek Key, a guy who's figuring it out for the first time at the SEC level to be inconsistent. You expect that out of Julian Phillips. At this point, I mean, you would hope Olivia Conwell could give you consistency as a senior, but it's been sure. four years and he hasn't given you consistency. Well, it's been three and a half years sure. and he hasn't been giving you consistency. So uh, at this point, I think it would kind of be foolish to expect it. They need they need more consistency from this guy Ziegler. They need more consistency from Santiago Vescovi. They need more consistency from Josiah Jordan-James if he's going to be out there. Out there, We'll get an update on that ankle injury uh, hopefully Friday. We haven't we usually have immediate availability Friday. We haven't gotten any confirmation on that yet. So 
we'll see on that stuff. And I think that was outside of the way Tennessee lost late. I think that was my biggest takeaway from last night. Tennessee's role on the road. It's about, you know, it's hard for your role players to play well. It's your stars that usually shine through. Tennessee's role players were phenomenal. Its stars have to be a lot better than they were last night. Yeah, absolutely. And, and man, you really think about just kind of the way that that final minute unfolded. And Ryan, I go back to what you said kind of here at the beginning of this segment and, and that, you know, three big kind of, uh, three big misses, and I don't say that in terms of shots, but three big misses in terms of opportunities there. And if maybe two of those happens, Tennessee still wins. I mean, Vanderbilt needed – Vanderbilt got lucky that, that Josiah Jordan-James went down and wasn't able to kind of be in that final possession as well, who, who Rick Barnes said after the game, like you were saying, does have a sprained ankle. We'll, we'll kind of see what the update is. He said that 32 minutes after James went down to the court. But it, it, it's really fascinating to think about just that final 52 seconds and – Man, this that's a game just like Auburn was that, that Tennessee has got to to learn from if they're going to want to continue to make this push into March. That's a game where, where you're right. Pr- good teams, despite having the challenges throughout that game, good teams can win that game, and Tennessee was in a position to win that game. That's, this has got to be an opportunity for this team to kind of look at that, understand what happened, understand what went wrong, and make sure that doesn't happen again because, like we're saying, as good as this team is, especially on the def- on the defensive side of the ball, it, when stretches like that happen, when stretches like that 52 seconds happen, it, it, it can look like the wheels are coming off a little bit. You're right. And there's no talk. You know, there's no talk that answers that question. And that, to me, that's what they're going to have to prove that they, they can do that and they can learn from those mistakes. And, and look, the Julian Phillips thing was one thing. He turns down the dunk. I turned – you know, to you and Ben McKee up in the, the crow's nest at Vanderbilt's highest seat in the building. <laughs> miles, miles away from the court. We had binoculars and telescopes. I think we're Galileo up there. And I said, yeah, he, he should have dunked that. But it wasn't like, oh, man, what is he, what is he doing? He's got to dunk that. It, my reaction wasn't Rick Barnes' reaction, which when I asked him about it, it was, you know, did, would you have liked to see Julian dunk that? And she was, come on, what are we talking about? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I wasn't quite that strong about it. And more than anything, it's, I mean, he should have dunked it. It's a freshman. It's a freshman a mistake. Santiago Vescovi has played in clutch time for four years. And to miss the free throw is one thing. Obviously, a lot of free throws is mental. But there's a physical aspect to it, too. There's a shooting aspect to it. Whatever. You miss a shot, you miss a shot. That defensive breakdown is inexcusable. In Tennessee, Rick Barnes said it. Their game plan there was they're going to try to get downhill. They're going to try to maybe give it to Liam Robbins. Let him shoot a shot at the basket. Let's make it as tough as possible. Let's let him shoot at the basket. You do not leave you do not leave the perimeter and you don't leave three point shooters. And for Vescovy, when there was really already Conwatt in there playing help uh, on uh, Ezra Manion, the Vanderbilt point guard, to run in there, that was just a mind mind boggling mistake. And uh, I feel like we've seen too many of those or, or really too many of those mistakes combined with too much inconsistency from the veteran guys on this Tennessee team that if you're going to make a deep run in March, if you're going to win an SEC championship, uh, you, you just can't have. Yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, let's kind of look at the final the final stretch of Tennessee's schedule. There's some tough games on this, no doubt about it. We talked about it a second ago. Tennessee welcomes in Alabama next Wednesday, follows that up with a road contest at Kentucky at 12 o'clock noon on Saturday the 18th. they got to go to College Station and take on Texas A&M. Then they close down the regular season by taking on Arkansas at home. Uh, excuse me, one more game after that, they will go to Auburn as well. So obviously we know that that was a tough contest. There's a lot of critical games left on this Tennessee schedule. How did last night kind of 
where does it leave you looking at this last part of this Tennessee schedule? And what's to you is the biggest thing that has to happen for this team in order to find that consistency, maybe find a little bit more consistency, but certainly heat back up uh, and try to find a winning streak heading into the SEC tournament. I'm not sure. I see a whole lot of like correlation between last night and what's there the rest of the way. It's going to be, it was okay. going to be a tough stretch. It was going to be a tough stretch no matter what. Sure. I think maybe you're just more worried about the status of the team mentally being able to rebound from another tough loss and one they really shouldn't have had. Um, but it's a challenging stretch of schedule. You get South Carolina at home. That's really the one freebie. Um, yeah. The, the three hardest road games you have in SEC play to me are what's left. I guess A&M and Florida are probably pretty similar, but I think a and is at least to this point, it's been a little bit better in SEC play. Is I believe it eight and two, nine and two. So they're, you know, uh, above Tennessee in the standings now. So it's going to be, it's going to be challenging games. What do they need to do to get back on track? I think one, it's lean on its defense. Its defense wasn't great last night. And granted, I think a lot of the three point regression didn't mean that was due to come came. I mean, Vanderbilt hit 10 threes, seven of them by players who shoot under 30% from three on the season, eight of them from players that shoot under 32% from three on the season. <laughs> so bad shooters hit shots against Tennessee last yes. night, but good shooters have missed shots against Tennessee a lot this year. So it, it was, Maybe not due to balance out, but you figured there's going to be some games like that. Um, so that's one. And two, it's it's what we said. I mean, it's defined offensive consistency. I think more than anything, it's about your stars being better. It's about Vescovy, Ziegler, and then if James is out there, them being more consistent. And then I think when you look at role players, the only guy that you feel like, or at least I feel like, really has an extra gear they can truly get to is Julian Phillips. You keep an eye on that. You try to get more and more out of him, but – it doesn't feel inevitable. And I maybe wouldn't say the Kennedy Chandler evolution felt inevitable last year, but you could see it a, a lot easier. You could see the path to Kennedy Chandler turning, finding another gear and being elite yeah. a lot more than you could see it with Julian Phillips. So I think it's more, mostly about just your stars playing better game in and game out. And Phillips is maybe that role player that you could get a lot more from, or at least there's untapped potential. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and I think even kind of going on that, just looking at the roster right here, I, I, I do like it. And I think you can tell that the coaching the coaching staff likes what Tobey Awak has given them. I mean, nine big rebounds yesterday. Yeah, he was really. playing strong and physical. I, I, I can't remember who asked it the other day, but somebody asked Coach Barnes, and maybe they actually asked Coach Ganey. They said, hey, look, is Tobey basically forcing you guys to keep him – playing on the court more and coaching staff said yes I think somebody asked Rick Barnes yesterday you know what kind of went into Tobe Waka coming off the bench for the first time maybe that was even you that asked the question uh, as the first big man to come off the bench and he said hey you know what it's just these practice habits that have been so good lately and he's kind of forcing us to put him on the court more so I, I do think that like what you said you're getting good production from some of these guys a little bit maybe more down the roster maybe Tyreek Key can continue you know continue what he started to build yesterday uh, moving forward into Saturday against Kentucky. But I, I do like ultimately what you said, and I think you're exactly right. It's about the stars on this team. It's about the not even, yes, the stars, but also your your veterans, right, your experienced guys. These are the guys who are battle-tested. Josiah Jordan-James has been here for a long time. So has some of these other guys. You know, you, you got to kind of figure out how to how to bat, batten down the hatches and, and figure out how to play this last bit of stretch. Yeah, certainly, and stars probably isn't even the exact right word. I'm not sure really Tennessee has a bunch of stars on this team, but it's, it's sure. best players. Yes, yes, yes. And, and then yeah, going back to Iwaka, you know, he's a guy I think you're going to see play more and more minutes and should. Yeah. To me, to me, he should be the second or the first guy off the bench and the second big man behind Kamwa. And 
you know, people asked me earlier in the season, you know, he rebounds well, he's got pretty good touch around the rim. Why doesn't he play more? Well, it was simple. His def- he wasn't great with the defensive assignments. And on top of what Barnes said about the practice stuff, he said he's getting a lot better at the ball screen defense. He's getting a lot better when he has to play switches. And that's, re- that's really, really evident. He's been a lot better on the defensive end. And certainly he's the best rebounder they have. And uh, he has not a ton of post moves and, and elite uh, scoring around the rim, but more certainly a lot more than Jonas Adu does, and I would say more than Yuris Plasic does as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, any kind of uh, final wrap-up thoughts on, on this team that we didn't get to or, or the stretch coming up or just anything that we maybe did not hit in terms of Tennessee basketball? I think we got it all. Yeah, I think we did too. It, it's certainly a, a wild game yesterday in the Music City. A, a buzzer-beating three-pointer. Uh, I, that is something that I, I don't believe that I have seen before from the corner of the court and Man, it was a defensive breakdown right there, and it was it was Vescovy who who lost his man. He kind of trickled over to the corner, and you're right, uh, uh, not the greatest shooter in the world, knocked down a big shot, and that's that's how it happened. And soon enough, the the, the court was uh, was flooded with with fans from every angle. So a, a a one that that Tennessee can't forget about, needs to learn from uh, coming into this final seven game stretch of the regular season. Ryan, safe travels, my friend. Uh, on your way back Thanks, here sir. to to Knox Vegas here a little bit later on today, which is a Thursday, uh, and then we'll link back up, and, and we'll uh, we'll be at the basco- basketball game on Saturday afternoon. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds great. Also, uh, Jack Foster and I will have a SEC or Tennessee baseball season preview podcast we'll be recording Friday morning, so uh, make sure to check that out out as well. Hey, that's good stuff right there. Baseball season right around the corner. Ryan and Jack are going to have you covered on that side. Man, they've been talking all things baseball. And then again, we'll lead you into the Saturday game, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Missouri travels to Knoxville to take on number 6 Tennessee. We will see how that goes. Tennessee right now 19-5 on the season, 8-3 and in conference play as they face these final seven games of the regular season. Ryan, safe travels back, my friend. Don't go anywhere. On the other side of the break, man, we got Jack Foster in the studio yesterday. We were talking with with some of the Tennessee coordinators. We were talking with Joey Halsley, Tim Banks, and Tennessee's new tight end coach, Alex Ablin. We'll talk about that and a whole bunch more Tennessee football on the other side. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. All right, here we go. Back here on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. Rick Butler with Jack Foster, who's now in the studio. Jack, it's good to see you, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing great. Um, You know... It's 65 degrees outside, which is yeah, amazing. Weird. But it's really windy, so it's not quite golfing weather, uh-huh. you know, but the sun's not out really. But Are you a golfer? I'm a huge golfer. Golf team in high school, baby. Oh, oh, I did. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why that slipped big, my mind. Big golfer for a guy. Have yeah. you and Ryan ever duked it out on the course? We haven't, but we have ever gone to. head to head? No, we need to, though. I don't know how how competitive Ryan is. I assume he's pretty competitive. I think probably very. I mean, we did the top golf thing, That was, but that's not, you know, obviously that's not so after the, the same level. That's right. Okay, now it's all coming back. We 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 did do top golf a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago. So after the baseball season last year, by the way, we're about to get into some Tennessee football. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Before after the baseball season last year, you know we, we were done for the summer. Right, had yeah. had about a month off until we we needed to gear for football again. And I blinked after that final game against Notre Dame, and Ryan was like doing this Florida circuit golf, uh, this Florida golf circuit, like with his friends. He was going to all these different courses. They were driving around the the southeast. No like way. It, it was incredible. I had That's no awesome. idea. But uh, you guys need to need to duke it out. I think that would be that would be fun. See who's see who's the champion of the company. 
uh, not quite Florida golf circuit, but the past two summers, my dad and his friends and me, we kind of gone around Western Kentucky and hit all of those golf courses. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, from where I'm from, Northwest Tennessee, yeah. it's the closest thing. But yeah, I liked hitting new golf courses. I like golfing a lot. So, you know, obviously, don't have the time to do as much as I would like to now. But yeah, yeah we need to we need to hit the link sometime soon. Well, I will come as well. Uh, but I might I might just stick to the cart. You know, I can golf a little bit, but I like to enjoy the, the beverages of the course. I like to enjoy the scenery of the course. That That's my style of golf. And I know some people are out there with me. Some are more competitive like you guys, but it's kind of the beauty of the sport of golf, right? Like you can play yeah. in a bunch of different ways. You, you ever uh, play football when you're a kid out in the yard and someone would be all-time quarterback? Oh, yeah. So you're all-time drunk golf cart driver. <laughs> <laughs> That that's your role. It's a pretty good way to put it. Yeah, it's pretty. There, it, it's that you. I know you've heard this. That uh, Pat McAfee tells a story of when he went golfing with Peyton Manning and Adam Vinatieri and all those guys, mm-hmm. and he was like, "I hit a couple shots and then quickly realized that my role for the day was going to be the comedian." <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Okay, that 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 can be where where I land as well." So, you, all right, we'll get that it. we'll get that set up for the summer. That sounds good. So, Jack, you and I were, let's get into some Tennessee football, shall we? Absolutely. You and I were on campus yesterday, right before, the, just a couple hours before the basketball game. Tennessee football had a big announcement for the first time since the, well, had a big in-person kind of press conference, a mm-hmm. meeting with the media. For the first time since the end of the season in the bowl season, Tennessee welcomes uh, Joey Halsley as their next offensive coordinator. Tennessee also brought out Tim Banks as the returning defensive coordinator to kind of talk about the uh, the offseason a little bit. And then they also introduced Alec Ablin. That is Tennessee's new tight ends coach. If you remember just a couple months ago, right after the regular season, Alex Golish was hired away from Tennessee to be the head coach out uh, South Florida. Previously, Alex Golish was not only Tennessee's offensive coordinator, but also the tight ends coach. So now one of those positions is moving to Joey Halsley, and then they're promoting from within Alec Ablin. We'll get to him in a minute, but it does kind of, it, it, it continues a trend of Tennessee hiring from within, right? Wanting to wanting to keep the guys in their program, keep the guy, keep the continuity, I think, between some of the guys. You look at last year, right? Kelsey Pope, another guy who went from offensive analyst to wide receivers coach. A couple months later, you have Tennessee's first Bolitnikoff winner in, in, in program history. So I think that you can really see a concentrated effort from Josh Heupel, not just to go out and get the biggest name, right? Not just to go out there and get a, a splashy hire or even somebody who's experienced. I think you can certainly tell that in some of these positions, maybe not all of them, but in the ones that we've at least seen so far, he is prioritizing familiarity, comfortability, and people who who he knows works well in this program. Right, and we see this a lot, you know, in college football. Sometimes it works, sometimes it sure. falls flat on the face, like yep. it has for the Clemson Tigers in the past three years and multiple other programs. But you know, we saw it work last year, so there's no reason to think it won't work again. And you know what Joey Hosley's been able to do with the quarterbacks. And it's not like there's going to be a big change with the offense or anything. This is not a drastic change. Hosley very familiar with Hypo in this program. Yeah. And then you look at Ablin. You know, I, I personally, you know, some people on Twitter will say, oh, he's not a recruiter. Oh, this is a bad hire. It's not sexy. We needed a sexy hire. Like, it's tight ends coach. Yeah, it's your tight ends coach. Hey, like, <laughs> let's, get, let's get down to brass sex. It's a tight ends coach, first of all. And secondly, he's been with Coach Hypo since he was 20 years old. The familiarity's there. And by the way, just first raw impressions from Alec Ablin yesterday, football guy. Like, yeah. 
Football guy. Football guy, right? You can yeah. just tell those types of people, and he is definitely a football guy. He did not have any kind of long-winded answers. He didn't no. go into any tangents or stories. He just got down to business, down to business. answered the questions. And that's kind of how Josh is. And it is. It, yeah. it's, you can tell that that is a, really a, a, a thematic, uh, maybe thematic, maybe just a theme throughout mm-hmm. the coaching staff. Right. And, you know, Hosley a little more polished, of course, and he kind of went into what – the promoting from within it was maybe him or Tim Banks can't remember I think it was Joey Halsley he talked about promoting from within and why they Josh Heupel has chose to do that well he said everybody Heupel brings in whether it's strength coach or offensive analyst literally everybody is a coach themselves sure that's something he values in the hiring process he's not bringing in some guy that'll just push your like that will do one job they're very versatile people and they're people who can coach so if you're bringing in these lower level guys you know that if you need to, you can promote them to one of these bigger roles. Well, let's talk. Let's continue talking about Alec Ablin a, a little bit as we start this thing off and just kind of talk about each one of their press conferences very, very quickly to give you a little bit of familiarity. Like like uh, Jack was mentioning a second ago, these a lot of these guys were, were have been in the same places. Ablin, a, a native of St. Louis, Missouri, he was an offensive lineman for the Missouri Tigers in 2016 and 2017. At that time, Josh Heupel was the offensive coordinator of the Tigers, and Glenn Ellerby was the offensive line coach. So there is immediate familiarity right there. Right after that, Ablin became a graduate assistant for Missouri during the 2018 season. But as he talked about yesterday, he said that it was not hard for him at all to go back to Josh Heupel. During the 2019 season, he eventually moved to become a graduate assistant on the UCF Knights coaching staff, where he would again reunite with Josh Heupel and uh, Glenn Ellerby and some of those, uh, obviously Joey Halsley as well, some of those other guys. He talked about that yesterday as, you know, he, he did kind of explain that, hey, even when I was just a lineman at Missouri, mm-hmm. I could look around the room and see that Josh Heupel wa- was a different guy, yeah. that he kind of knew maybe something that other people weren't getting, that he did work really well with the guys around him. It, it, it was fascinating to hear Alec Abelin talk about yesterday how, you know, and, and whether this is, I don't believe this is too exaggerated, but, you know, whether it, the truth or not, he said that, you know, hey, in that time, as a player, he could tell that Josh Heupel was a guy that he wanted to continue connecting with as he moved forward with his career. And now here you go, just a couple of years later, and he's now a position coach at Tennessee. So, anyways, after that 2019 season with UCF, he then moved to become an uh, – he excuse me. He then moved to the SEC as a graduate assistant for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss during the 2020 season. Then Josh Heupel and his staff arrives at Tennessee. Josh Heupel brings Alec Ablin over to the Volunteers to be an offensive analyst during the 2021 season. He carried that same position through the Orange Bowl winning uh, 2022 season as well. And now, again, like what we've been talking about, promoted from within, a guy who knows the system, a guy who knows the offense, a guy who knows the players, now stepping in to become Tennessee's tight end coach. Right, and you know, it's a guy who's really good with scheming, and that's what Joey Halsley said. You know, he's a super smart guy with the schemes, knows the system like the back of his hand, knows this offense, and... You know, as we said, he he has a lot of trust in Josh Heupel, and he has a lot of familiarity with him. As you said, when he was able and reflecting back to when he first yeah. met Josh Heupel, he he literally chuckled when he was thinking back and said, "I remember thinking this dude is different." <laughs> yeah, you know, that that was his exact quote. So, yeah, I, I think the hire's good, and um, we'll see how it works out. Of course, he's got plenty of talent coming in tight end position. Yeah, no doubt about it. And he, and he did kind of talk about that. He said, I, "I thought one interesting thing he said was." Talking about Jacob Warren, right? We know that Princeton fan, uh, in some ways, Mr. Do-It-All for Tennessee right. in a lot of different aspects. Uh, but Jacob Warren returning to the tight end this year, tight end room this year, Alec Ablin said yesterday, hey, he is 
far less of a student and more of a contributor, right? right. He, he is going to be a big voice in that offense and, excuse me, in that tight end room and uh, so on and so forth. He's, Abelin said that it, mean, it meant the world to him when he got that call from Josh Heupel and, and that he's excited to get – he's excited to hit the road recruiting, right, whether that might be uh, talking to high school coaches, going to games from high schoolers, uh, sitting down with families and sitting down in living rooms with people. Those are kind of the stuff that he's really most looking forward to right now, right, it, it kind of off season. Yeah, a lot of it, some of it yeah, still the same. dead period. Yeah, yeah, dead period. So there's not going to be too much right here in the middle of February, but – Boy, and boy, are, are things going to start unfolding as the months continue on. Yeah, and, you know, as I said earlier, this is something that is new to Ablin. He's not, you know, been in the recruiting process a lot. So, you know, he's definitely excited to take, you know, part in that process moving forward, and he's got a, a good support system with him. And Josh Ipolenko, of course. So Yeah. Another guy that we talked to yesterday, and we've mentioned already, but Joey Halsley. Moves from Tennessee's quarterback coach to now adds the title of offensive coordinator to his repertoire. And there were a lot of interesting things, I think, that he said yesterday. Obviously, again, we know that this is a guy who has a ton of familiarity and who has been with Josh Heupel and the coaching staff for a very long time. Uh, I'll go ahead and read just one of the Rocky Top Insider tweets here that we posted yesterday as we live tweet every single Tennessee press conference and then kind of expand on it. But Joey Halsley says that being in the room, being in the in the offensive room, and talking ball with the players is normal, communal, and just like it has been since the start. Halsley says that the bigger change as the new offensive coordinator, really in the last month, has been on the recruiting side of things. I thought that was really fascinating, but it wasn't shocking. right? I think this is obviously something we've known. We know that there is not necessarily one dominant voice from the offensive side of the ball, but it's a lot of people putting their minds together. Last year it was... Josh Heupel, Joey Halsley, Alex Golesh, right? Different people along the page putting their thoughts together and doing that. So he says that, hey, a lot of that is the same, right? Yes, he might have to be the one who, you know, makes the final decision at the end of the day, either him or Josh Heupel. But but also, when you're in that room, when you're just talking shop, all that kind of stuff, he says it is still a very familiar, a communal aspect, right? Nothing that really changes, maybe not change the right word, but nothing that's really stuck out to him or, or, or been... Too much of a, a new challenge. He said that really the, the biggest difference has been on that recruiting trail, right? Not just recruiting your position, not just calling your position players, but having to kind of worry about the whole offense as a whole. So I, I right. did it's think more that just was, the quarterbacks, yeah. Yeah, so I did think that was fascinating, even if it was fairly expected, I think with common sense, just understanding kind of these positions. But it, it was fascinating to hear just from his own mouth and kind of how he how he views these two spots. Yeah, I don't think there was any surprises from Joey Halsley's presser yesterday. Of course, you know, Josh Heupel is going to take over play calling duties, so Halsley didn't speak on that or anything. But he did say, and he said it multiple times as well as Alec Ablin, that this offense isn't changing. You know, same tempo, yeah. same intensity, same goals, day in, day out, game in, game out. And we saw that against Clemson. First game without Alex Skolish. Nothing is going to change with this Tennessee offense. The heart and soul is there. The, the play calling is there. The scheming is there. So, you know, just because of the coordinator change, no one should expect to see any difference with this Tennessee offense in 2023. Yeah, and to that exact point, you know, this, this press conference I, I thought was – was good and beneficial for everybody, but it was also what we expected, right? It, it yeah. was a it was a press conference too. It was an introductory press conference. They were going to talk about the good things. They were going to talk about you know what what they're excited that's rolling about, and ultimately that's what they did. Joey Halsley touched on a couple of players. He said that incoming 
offensive skill player Cam Seldon is a freak, <laughs> yeah. right? It really, and he said it unprompted. Yeah, he did. It was it was mid question. He goes, "Yeah, dude's a freak." Yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. That that was pretty funny. Um, he, he was impressed by him. He said that he was also impressed by uh, Dante Thornton, Tennessee's new transfer wide receiver that's coming in, and his flexibility to move all over the field from the wide receiver position. Just the kind of versatility that he brings to the table. He also says that he's probably going to be one of, if not the fastest guy on Tennessee's team next year. So a yeah. lot of speed projecting from that, uh, from really kind of that slot area too. Right, and I thought that was interesting because Dante Thornton is, you know, a taller guy. He's 6'5". You know, he's lanky and he's got big arms, so it's not a surprise that he's super fast or can play in the slot. But I think the that he's not just a solely outside receiver is going to be interesting to see how they move him around. Yeah, and I think that they will use that flexibility and that versatility to their advantage. I mean, uh, I mean, we see in the NFL, like Keenan Allen, super tall, big arms, long arms, plays in the slot, right? You know, if Thornton's like a fast Keenan Allen, just maybe a little smaller It'll be fun to see how he fits in this Tennessee offense. Yeah, no doubt about it. Did he get traded, Keenan Allen? There's something. something no, going but on? Uh, are they trying to there's, trade him? There's buzz that he, the Chargers are going to cut him uh, oh, because of uh, money purposes. So okay. it, that that name popped in my head. Anyways, and then one <laughs> of the last things that that Halsley hit on was uh, he, he obviously talked about Nico Iamaliava a, a good bit and said that hey, look, one of the things that he's impressed with is just his ability, Iamaliava's ability to already learn, I don't want to say the basics, but just kind of the language, how the plays are called, right? How, how to kind of set up so that you can start working on the details of actually being the quarterback in the University of Tennessee football program's offense. He, he said that he was impressed with just kind of how that progression is going early on and that he did enjoy watching Nico in that All-Star game, said that, hey, he, they never want to take away an All-Star game from one of these players. Uh, you know, obviously, fingers crossed that Nobody on any side gets injured or anything, but you know that's an opportunity for them to finish that celebration and all that hard work that went into their high school career. So that was just a little yeah. bit on Nico uh, again. Said that thought it was really beneficial that he did get to go play in that Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, how about the month Nico Yamaleva had? Take it like ah, halfway through December, probably finishing up the semester of high school. Right, sure. you got the holidays coming up. Well, you go to Miami with your new team. And you're learning all this stuff. You're probably taking all these sorts of notes, trying to learn the playbook and learn all these signals. And you go to Miami. You're at the Orange Bowl. You're watching your future team play. And then you go to Hawaii to play in the Polynesian Bowl, the All-Star Game. And then you're coming back to learn more at Knoxville. Like, he's been so busy. It ha- yeah. And what I'll, is kind of supposed to be an offseason. Yeah, absolutely. For him, anyway. It's kind of also crazy to think about, hey, that's, in a way, that's what you... That's what you expect out of a out of a quarterback, especially one that is as highly tatted as he is, especially one that's going to an SEC program like he is. That's the kind of pressure that you're going to have if you want to be as good as you as good as you project to be. No, yeah. if you want to be as great as I think you project to be, man, that's the kind of pressure and that's the kind of you know uh, schedule and, and some of the things that these players and and these high level recruits are, are going to have to uh, fight. I don't want to say fight through. That's not necessarily the right word, but you know just go through right mm-hmm. it's a, like you said there's a lot going into it and speaking of quarterbacks i thought um probably one of the most interesting things halsley talked about in the press conference was when he was asked if there's a need to get a transfer portal quarterback you know that's something yes. that gets a lot of talk so yes he said um you know there's no pressing need to add a quarterback he's very comfortable with the guys he has in his room you know gaston moore and uh the new walk-on and ryan dameron of course nico and joe but he said hey we're always going to keep the door yeah I-, I thought that was really fascinating do you feel like there is a pressing need to go out and get that third quarterback right now? Um, n- 
I do not think there is a pressing need to get a graduate transfer that could compete for a starting role. I do not think that's a pressing need, and some do. Some think that we need some Tennessee needs somebody in here who can compete with Joe Milton and yeah. try to take the starting role. I don't. I don't feel like that is completely necessary. I'm fully confident with Joe Milton's ability to start the season and for Nico to be a young backup. Now, I would, as if I'm a Tennessee fan, I would totally welcome the fact of a junior or an experienced guy coming in, knows he's not going to start, but can just add to that quarterback group, yeah. right? Because you don't want Joe to get hurt or something bad happen and then throw Nico to the Wolves in the middle of SEC play week five. Right. You don't want that to right. happen. <laughs> going into a... Going into a stretch of an Alabama, Georgia, you know, whatever not, yeah. it may be. Not saying, it, not saying if Tennessee's two losses, you know, worse, they're four and two or something crazy like that through six weeks. That, yeah, you start Nico in that situation because you want him to get the experience. But, you know, you you want that backup. You, mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily want to have to lean on Gastamore or something like that. So. Yes, and, and I I I agree with you. I don't think that you know. It, he said yesterday that uh, Gastamore and Navy Schuler are going to have an opportunity to kind of play into that third quarterback, and I don't necessarily think that either of them. I mean, let's be honest. Tennessee's will... having to start Gastamore and Navy Schuler in an SEC Something's game. Something's gone wrong. The season's cooked. Something has happened, and it's, it is it's not bad. Good. Yes. yes. And so I agree with you. I, I don't think that it is a pressing matter. I think that it would be beneficial for them to get it, but I say that, and I don't really. I say that, but I don't really see the necessity for it, right? Yeah, it it would be beneficial, right. but it's also like I, I think that people are fairly confident that Joe Milton is going to be the starter next year, and you did see the, the 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 I'll say it vast improvement in the Orange Bowl, and I think people also know that Nico is right behind him, right? Nico mm-hmm. is going to be that that person that takes over, and, and so I, again, I think it's beneficial, but it's not like you're bringing in a guy and you're saying, you know, hey, we need you to get ready, you know, this whole season you're going to be the guy next year or, you know, we really do have quarterback questions and we want you to be competing for the starting quarterback. I, I think that, you know, as things stand right now, Joe Milton has been preparing for this opportunity for the last two years, for two yeah. straight seasons. So I, I do think that that opportunity is his. Uh, but ultimately, you're right. It was interesting what Halsey said that, you know, hey, we don't see a pressing need for it right now. Right. But we're always going to keep the door open and we're always going to have that opportunity if we need it. So. And, you know, not to take anything away from Joe Milton at all. He is, it looks like he has improved greatly from early 2021 season, right? But, yeah. to me, one of, probably one of the most significant reasons Joe Milton has been able to improve is Hendon Hooker. Right? Yes. Like, the friendship with Hendon Hooker, by the way, did you know they're best friends? They talk about it all the time, right? So Did you know that they were roommates? Exactly. What? Yeah, Hendon Hooker has been I wonder been who's so... his roommate now. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to ask him, but Hinton maybe it's him and Nico, so... like nine years apart. <laughs> Hooker has been so instrumental in Milton's ability to get better. I think in this Tennessee system. So, you know, looking at adding a quarterback, add a locker room guy, add a guy who can help Joe, who can help Nico grow. Right, sure. that would be really beneficial for Tennessee. So that's why I think quarterback should be maybe in the top five positions that Tennessee should be trying to get in the transfer portal. But again, you're not fighting tooth and nail for it. You're not losing sleep. Over yeah, it. I think that if there's a guy out there that fits. And he is willing to come in, understands the system. Then yes, I, I would and think understands his role. Yes, yes. that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, understands the role that's going forward. I, I do think that yes, bring him in. And, and I don't know exactly. I guess Tennessee's roster situation right now, but I, I still stand by that. I, I I do think that yes, bring him in. Continue going forward with the quarterback room. Continue to see how that unfolds. And, and yeah, try to try to get as much you know 
combined common knowledge as you can between all five, uh, including the quarterback coach, all six people in that room. Yep, I totally yeah. agree. Last guy that we talked to yesterday was Tim Banks, and Tim Banks' role has not changed throughout the offseason, but they did bring him onto the, you know, they did bring him up to the podium yesterday just to have both of the coordinators yeah. talk at the same time. And, and I thought that we heard fascinating things from Tim Banks as well. Just kind of talked about how, you know, the the, I guess one of the interesting th- interesting things to me that Tim Banks talked about was how they are evaluating the last season, right? He said that, hey, we haven't necessarily gone into some of the more deeper dives into the games or into things like that. More so, it's just been kind of looking at the big plays, right, for good and both bad. But he says that he they have been going over those things. They are continuing to prepare for next year. And I thought maybe some of the more interesting things he said, which we'll get into in a minute, is that, well, regards some of the players that are on the team now. Yeah, um, you know, Tim, but this is obviously a time where guys are bulking up, getting ready for spring practice. They're they're reflecting, right, a lot. Yep. So and there's a lot to reflect on this Tennessee defense. It was a wild ride from start to finish. Yeah, and, and I thought one of the things he said that is really great news for Tennessee is that everyone is full 100% right now. Like, everyone yeah. is in, their, in the rooms. They're learning. They're all healthy, too, so they're all – you know, at the, at the same level, bulking up for spring practice. So knowing that it's a full effort right now and everyone is full go, I think is the biggest piece of news that's positive for Tennessee. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, I think there was less to less noteworthy. Not that it was less important, but I do think that maybe it was just a little bit less noteworthy amount of items that came from Tim Banks just because it wasn't a, a – a new position to ask about, right? It was just kind of asking about some of the transfer players that were coming in. Uh, Tim yeah. Banks did say that, hey, you can already see some of the freshmen's body composition starting to change as they're starting to hit the strength and conditioning program for the first time, which, uh, again, is a good thing for Tennessee right in here, just in the middle of February as you're gearing up for spring camp, which, by the way, we have those dates. Yeah, it was it March we? 30th that spring practice starts? I think that's what Bill said. Yes. Something to that effect. Um, Late March. I have it right here. Or maybe okay. that was Pro Day. Monday, March 20th is the start of spring practice. Okay, March 20th. So make sure you're tuning in to Rocket Top Insider. We'll have you covered. March 30th uh, will be Pro Day. So that's exciting to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And then April 15th, that's already been announced. That is a spring game. So a couple of quick, yeah. uh, couple of quick dates coming up in the spring for Tennessee football. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost here. Just oh. a little over a month away. Uh, Gabe Judy Lolly, another guy that he talked about that he said he was yeah, very, he, very excited about. Yeah, he and Keenan Pilly. Um, yes. Those, the two BYU guys, right? So, yeah, they're, they're guys that you figure will make an immediate impact for this Tennessee team and have a chance to compete for a starting role. He uh, he was pretty high on both of them. He really likes Gabe's leadership and his ability to push other guys, which I think is needed in that Tennessee secondary. Mm-hmm. They're still relatively young. Um, so having a guy who is – Played a lot of football, come in and do that is really good for Tennessee. And then same with Keenan Pilly, um, you know, another experienced guy who can come in. And, you know, I've always kind of spoken about Tennessee's linebacker group and their secondary group in the same breath. There, It feels like in the past couple of years, those have been the two weakest positions on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. You know, and outside of Jeremy Banks, they're the most inexperienced. Yes. So bringing in two guys who have, you know, been in college football for a long time, I think is one of the biggest reasons Tennessee went after them. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. Just bringing in experience, bringing in guys who who can learn from one another, one learn from one another, share knowledge along the way, uh, and especially, man, for for Aaron Beasley, who who is mm-hmm. I think going to be a nasty player in the middle of that Tennessee defense, especially based on what he did from the Orange Bowl. Yeah, now Aaron Beasley had a had a underrated year. 
I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not many people talk about him, but he was one of the best. Uh, I, I believe defenders. he led Tennessee in tackles by the end of the when it was all said and done. That wouldn't surprise me. No, nope, no. Nope. Anyways, all right. So that that's gonna wrap up just some of our conversation from yesterday. One more football note to hit, though. You can actually go and find this right now at RockyTopPenCenter.com, where you can find a lot of the things that we've been talking about today. But as Jack wrote a great article, seven Tennessee Volunteers have received invites to the NFL Scouting Combine. Not bad. That will be held in Indianapolis from March 2nd to March 6th. Uh, Jack, this is your article. Would you like to uh, go ahead and start uh, listing out these players? Yeah, so seven guys. Um, not really any surprises here, but Hendon Hooker, uh, Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, yep, Darnell Wright, Byron Young, Jeremy Banks, and Paxton Brooks, which I thought was cool that he was invited to the Saturn Combine. So obviously, you know, some of the bigger stars, Hendon Hooker, not a surprise. He will not be taking part in on-field activities, of course, as he continues to rehab his ACL. But we've seen Hendon Hooker take advantage of these opportunities time and time again this offseason to just continue, you know, boosting his draft stock by talking and, yes. and by showing NFL teams what a leader he is. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of great stories from national media come out. Of course, Rick wrote an article about that story Tom Pelissero did on Hendon Hooker about how he is going to be ready to go sooner than most would have expected. Um, he was on the Pat McAfee show yesterday talking about that as well. And mm-hmm. then you look at the receivers, it'll be I'm, – I'm probably the most excited to watch Tillman Hyatt in action because we haven't seen any Tillman or Hyatt since – um, well, for Hyatt since the Vanderbilt game, for Tillman since South Carolina. Yeah. So, you know, the televised action, if you will, has not happened for them in a minute because they opted out of the Orange Bowl and Hyatt couldn't go. The Senior Bowl, Tillman didn't go. So that'll be fun to see. And then Wright and Young will continue to take part in that draft process. And then Jeremy Banks and Paxton Brooks rounding them out. Yeah, by the way. Uh, let's see. So that was, you mentioned, what, seven players right there. Hooker, Tillman, Hyatt, Wright, Young, Banks, Brooks. That is six, not counting Brooks, so let's talk about the six uh, offensive and defensive players. That is six out of eight, ten, eight of Tennessee's departing starters. Uh, the only two that were not not right there were safety Trayvon Flowers and offensive lineman Jerome Carvin. So that's kind of fascinating. But we also did actually look at a, uh, a, a mock draft yesterday from Matt Miller of ESPN that actually, fascinatingly enough, had back-to-back first-round picks from Tennessee. They had... Mm. Uh, Darnell Wright going at number 24 overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Do okay. the Jags need a good right right guy in the uh, right can, guy for the offensive line? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's contract issues with one and the other towards ACL this past season. So okay, who so, knows if he'll be good to you? Yeah. So maybe bringing in a guy like Darnell Wright, <laughs> uh, a guy who you know took over 500 pass block snaps and did not allow a single uh, sack on the year. Maybe that's their guy at number 24. And then they also were projecting Jalen Hyatt to go at 25, one pick later to the. It's 25 the Charger? No, they're earlier than that. I don't know who 25. Oh no, now I'm going to blank. Oh no. All right, let's let's uh anyway, I was going to say about Hyatt. You yes. Know, as you continue to find that the combine is going to be so huge for Hyatt. The it Giants. Is, the Giants. The New York Football they Giants. They need a receiver. They need a receiver. Check this out. This is pretty crazy. Um where is it? Only two players for the Giants caught more than 50. This was a playoff team. Only two players in the Giants caught more than 50 receptions last season, and one of those was Saquon Barkley, the running back. They desperately need a guy who can stretch the field, who can run it deep, and there's been connections with how Brian Dayball, the head coach of the Giants, used Stefan Diggs, right, when those two were linked up in Buffalo. So now 
you bring in potentially a guy like Jalen Hyatt to work with Dayball in the Giants, they're saying that that could be a uh, a little well, beneficial little marriage. The thing about the Giants, which I know you're probably a huge fan of the New York Giants, right? Love them. Right? Yeah. Love them. Totally. Go Cowboys. <laughs> um, but the thing about them is they got to pay their quarterback and their running back. With Daniel <laughs> Jones and Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Both are in need of contracts if they want to pay Daniel Jones, that is, of course. But in this free agent wide receiver market, at the looks right now, it's not going to be a good one like it has been in years past. So the Giants are a team that are definitely in the market for young receivers. Yes, no doubt about it. That is probably pr- uh, priority number one. And then I believe uh, Matt Miller also had Hendon Hooker going at number 53 to the Seattle Seahawks, which yeah. second-round pick. Like you were saying just a second ago, man, these these interviews, it really seems like has been uh, huge for yeah. him. He, he I, think, I, I saw Pat McAfee saying that yesterday, like, not a lot of people are talking about Hendon Hooker, and I do think that to an extent. Obviously, he's not being talked about in the same in the same breath as Will Levis, CJ, right, Bryce Young, some of those other guys. But I do think that he is getting fairly good attention, right? And maybe it's just because I'm more connected to the Tennessee beat. But between Tom Pelissero at the Senior Bowl, between some of those other things that are going on, I do think that there's been a, a fair amount of Hendon Hooker coverage in the sense of seeing how this guy is preparing for the NFL draft despite not being able to uh, not being able to perform in the field. He right. actually also posted a video to Twitter just about a day or so ago uh, uh, of him throwing with Jordan Palmer and kind of going through some mm-hmm. of those drills. And, man, it looks sharp. So uh, yeah, I th- think he's getting decent attention, even if it's not in the same breath as the Tier 1 guys. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not. And I feel like, you know, the media is doing a good job of telling a story because it's probably the most interesting story of any of the quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, like C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, they're studs. They played three years. Okay. Will Levis, he's a freak of nature athletically. So, yeah, okay. Anthony Richardson, you know, new age type of quarterback play. Okay. Yeah. All four are pretty straightforward. But Hinton Hooker, you know, he's older. He had an incredible uh, senior season with Tennessee. Gets hurt. I think it's the FOMO factor. Right, you don't want to miss out on Hendon Hooker, and maybe that is going to allow his draft ah. stock to improve as well. Because like Dak, a like thought. a Dak Prescott, like Russell Wilson earlier in his career, the, people missed out on them because you know they were underrated coming out of college. So you know Hendon Hooker fits that kind of bill. It, that that's a it's a fascinating thought right there. The the idea of yeah, you and, don't want to miss out on the guy. And like look at, I'm not trying to obviously put down Richardson or Levis or Young or Shroud. They could all be stars. But, like, look what happened to Zach Wilson and a couple of these young quarterbacks. They weren't ready to be a leader. If Hendon Hooker is anything, it's that he's ready to be a leader. So you kind of look at what's happened in recent history, NFL teams start drafting these leaders, maybe that's going to also allow Hendon Hooker's draft stock to rest. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, you even look at some of those guys. Will Levis, I mean, skipped out on the senior bowl, right? That's an interesting yeah, question. Yeah, so did Stetson Bennett to so get arrested. <laughs> Woof, to get arrested by the by the uh, he's the, mailing it in the the mailman's the, finally mailing it in. <laughs> uh, people are going to be asking. They're going to say, "Hey, why didn't you go down there?" Even you know, other guys did. They didn't even get to participate. Why didn't you go down there? I just think those are interesting questions that are going to be asked uh, a little bit later on down the road if they have not already. My friend, you about ready to wrap this thing up? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, that'll do it. Hey, do you have a Super Bowl pick? Yeah, so I'm gonna go the Chiefs. Okay, I'm not gonna. Get, I I know the Eagles roster's loaded. They're they're really impressive. But man, Andy Reid against his former team, Patrick Mahomes. I'm taking them. Not not thinking twice. It would be nice for the Tennessee fan base, for the people of Knoxville, to see Trey Smith get a ring uh, as obviously one of the starters on the on the Chiefs uh, line. But I'm gonna go with the Eagles. I, unfortunately. I do think that the Eagles are going to get it done. I, I just think they're such a well-balanced, complete team. 
Uh, but it should be fun here it's in gonna, a couple days. Isn't it brutal for the NFL's darling Patrick Mahomes to go to five straight AFC championships and only have one ring to show for it if the Eagles win? <laughs> like, That's spoken like a Trevor Lawrence fan, huh? No, no, no. I like actually like Patrick Mahomes. I, but it's just like it almost – you know, if there is a script, Patrick Mahomes wins the Super Bowl, <laughs> right? Like he has to. So it That's just feels right. Point. Uh, look, we, we talk about all the speculation, but there's already a script, right? Uh, Hannon Hooker has already sh- gotten drafted, right? Shout out VFL Arian Foster oh, yeah. for creating the best quote tweets, memes, what you want to call it, of this NFL script thing. They were good. Like, the they macro-dosing good. pod, Arian Foster, I thank you because I have laughed endlessly because of the narrative you have put out there. Arian Foster, you're welcome on the press pass to share more yeah, theories and... Whenever you want. You remember me? We took that picture that one want. day on campus. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It was a. Uh, is either Florida or Bama game? Um, when because uh, I remember when game they were here? here. Yeah, I don't it was know. Florida. They were Florida? here for Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And he was on the sideline. Yeah. See, because that was the game that Theo Vaughn and Caleb yeah. Presley dunked Josh Heifel <laughs> with the Gatorade. Like what? And by the what? way, Heifel was unfazed when that happened. Super unfazed. It was hilarious. Uh, why a comedian and a and a barstool guy are doing the Gatorade dump? That's a different story. But it was. <laughs> pretty wild no. anyways yeah i totally fanboyed with arian foster though. he was actually the first jersey i owned houston houston texans because wow. when i got into fantasy football um arian foster was my running back and he was a stud oh my god for he, was, he was absolutely amazing good. and i just fell in love with the arian foster so i got his number 23 texans jersey wow somewhere you you like a have youth it? small yeah it's somewhere that's wild. i was like eight nine years old that's wild hey that's gonna wrap it up for us today which is a Thursday episode of the show. But don't go, don't, you don't have to be looking too far because tomorrow, which is going to be Friday, February 10th, Jack and Ryan are going to be right here in studio and they're going to be recording a great Tennessee baseball preview. The season is pretty darn close, right? It's just eight days away. Eight days away. There you go from this recording right here. So they will be recording on the one week to go until the Tennessee baseball season again. That'll be Friday, February 10th. That'll be tomorrow. Be on the lookout for that podcast because these guys know their stuff. They have been getting ready for baseball season. They've been talking to the right people. They've been getting the right information. They're going to bring it to you tomorrow right here on the Rocky Top Insider Podcast Network. But otherwise, it's going to wrap it up for us today. A little bit of a disconjointed episode of the Press Pass, but nonetheless, it was a good one. We got to hit a lot of topics. Ryan and I talked a little Tennessee basketball. You and I got to talk plenty of Tennessee football. Then y'all are going to come back tomorrow with the baseball how about that for a trifecta? Yeah, it's off-season football talk, so you're going to hit everything under the sun, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> you, you and Ryan talk shop about Tennessee basketball. You, and we you did. hit all the necessary and hitters, and then, and then we had our fun. No doubt so. about it. <laughs> My friend, thank you for all your hard work today. We will see you back sometime soon. Make sure you're following the Rocky Top Insider accounts on all different social media platforms. We are at Rocky Top Insider on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, and and Instagram. Of course, you can always go and check out RockyTopInsider.com. That's going to be your number one place to get your Tennessee news, notes, and coverage. If you would like to follow Ryan Shumpert, you can do that at rshump00 on Twitter. If you would like to follow Jack Foster, you can do that at Jack Foster Media on Twitter. And myself, Rick Butler, you can follow me at Rick underscore Butler on Twitter. But again, make sure you're just checking out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day. That's where we're going to have you covered. That's where we're going to have you updated. And we will have you ready to go for this Saturday's basketball game when Tennessee hosts Missouri right here in Thompson Bowling Arena. There's a lot on the radar coming up, but we're going to have you ready for it all. Thank you so much for listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass today. For Jack Foster, for Ryan Shumpert, I'm Rick Butler. You've been listening to the RTI Press Pass. We'll see you back for the next one.